0: So as we said this this year, we're kind of starting off our talk in the new year about New Year's resolutions. And my guess is, um, as I brought that up, some of you are are a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit guilty already. Because you're feeling like, oh, those things. You've made some New Year's resolutions and and you've probably already abandoned some New Year's resolutions. Anybody in in that position? You can be honest, we're in church. God knows anyway. You made some, you abandoned some. It's how it goes. You're feeling a little uncomfortable. We're going to talk about it anyway. I did have this interesting thought this week. It's completely irrelevant But it's interesting nonetheless. I don't think Jesus ever had to make a New Year's resolution. I I think any time January rolled around for Jesus, it's not like he'd say, what am I going to do differently this year? You know what I mean? I I think he went into every year saying, no, I'm going to do the same thing I did last year. I, I think it's good. So, that's a little interesting thought on New Year's resolutions. Uh, We are talking about New Year's resolutions. If you missed last week, I I want to encourage you to to keep up with us. I think these uh, three weeks we're talking about last week, we're talking about it again this week, and we're going to wrap it up next week, so it's a three-week series. Uh, I think these three weeks have the ability to really shape 2019 for you better than anything we've done before. I think if you can get a hold of this, if you would allow the messages to speak to you and even respond to it, uh, this could be the best year of your life, but you need to keep up. So if you missed anything, head over to our website, journeymaine.com. You can watch all of our messages on there. We're encouraging small groups to participate with us, so we created questions that go along with this week's message, so you can watch last week's message and answer questions. This week, when you're done, if your small group misses it, I'd encourage your small group to go out, watch the message, then answer the questions. And then next week, it's the same thing. You can watch next week's message after I preach it next week online and answer questions. It's amazing how technology works. But I want to encourage you to do it because I really think this series has the ability to set the stage for something brand new and something completely inspiring, maybe something even better and bigger than you ever thought possible. So as we uh, kind of open up our talk on New Year's resolutions, when it comes to this time of year, this time of year is really all about self-improvement, isn't it? We we kind of ask the question, like, like, how can I be a better me? What can I do about me? Like, how can I be the the slimmer me? How can I be the richer me? What can I do to change me and make me better? All of our ideas kind of center on, on ourselves. And I'm not against all of that, but it's interesting that when we go into the new year, a lot of us go into the new year thinking like how can i get in shape i've got to eat some more vegetables and start some diets and and health centers you, you know they're just they're completely packed for the for the month of January, they kind of trickle out through February, and then by March, you're back to, to the regulars. Same thing with, with vitamin clinics, like all, all these things, we have this idea of, of becoming this healthier me, or, or maybe this more financially secure me, maybe, maybe not a richer me, but more financially secure to pay off our debt and stop using credit cards, and maybe we're getting a little older, and we're thinking about saving for retirement, but, but all, all these ideas kind of center around, how can I make me a better me? It's really all about our self-improvement. Really, the question we're trying to answer is, what should I do about me? I, I'm kind of what matters going into this year. What can I do about me to be the me that I've always wanted me to be? And, and we kind of have all of these ideas and thoughts, and maybe you you've, you stretched a little beyond the whole health and, and finances kind of thing, but, but whatever it might be, most of our New Year's resolutions, I would say probably all of our New Year's resolutions, center around the idea of what can I do about me? And we posed a question for you that we're going to look at again. But what I find interesting about this question is that we all, we all appreciate this question when someone else is responding to it, right? If you go to a local church and you've been a part of a church where somebody has extended help to you and kind of got involved in your life to help make your life better, we all appreciate and we're all thankful that somebody heard this question and then responded to this question. And here's what the question is, what needs to be done around me? Not answering the question, not starting off our new year, not creating a new year's resolution about what can I do to make me a better me, but looking around us and saying, what needs to be done around me? When we consider our, our, our cities and our governments, and we consider our neighborhoods, maybe even, even our, the street we're on, we consider the school systems that our kids are a part of, we, we, we begin to get overwhelmed with this idea, not so much about me, but about what's going on around me and what can I do to get involved in what is happening around me. And then we use this great Latin, Latin, it's a little Latin proverb that I used last week that I think is so insightful. What man is a man? What woman is a woman who does not leave the world or make the world better? What man is a man? What person? What human is a human who doesn't make or leave the world better than the way they found it? And that kind of captivates all of our hearts, all of us secretly on the inside, whether we admit it or not. We're all kind of hoping we do that. We're all kind of hoping that when we get to the end of our life, that we've made the world, we've left the world better than how we found it. And that's really what we want to center our hearts on this new year. As we think about what could be, not about what we can do for us, but about what could be in the world, we have to answer this question. And this is the question I left you with last week. What breaks your heart? Ultimately, what breaks your heart? When you're watching the news, when you're reading through your Facebook feed or seeing what's on Twitter, like what are the things that you have to stop and read about every single time? It could be flooded with news. People can tell you about 10 things going on in the world, and you're just like, yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, that's too bad. That's too bad. I hope somebody does something about that. And then they say one thing, and every time they say it, there's just this, this pit in, in, in your stomach that begins to form. You're, just, you're unhappy. You're unsettled. Of everything else that's bad, you begin to say, no, you almost get angry. No, something needs to be done about that. Somebody needs to do something. I can't believe we're in the 21st century and this is still happening. Somebody needs to put an end to that now. Somebody needs to get involved. What breaks your heart? When you look around your city, when you look around your neighborhoods, when you look at your school system, when you look at what your kids are dealing with or what your your children's friends are dealing with or what your friends are dealing with, what breaks your heart? What keeps you up at night? What makes it that you can't go back to sleep once you wake up and you think about it? What's the thing you try to avoid thinking about because every time you think about it, you get emotional and you, 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 you find it even a little bit disturbing because you can't get your mind off it. What breaks your heart? You see, the answer to that question will project into this new year, a year that we never thought possible. What's that one thing? What's the one category? What's the one group? What's the one unmet need that you simply cannot get your mind off of? And you think to yourself, somebody is, it's somebody, is there anybody who's willing to do something about this? There's a, a famous book that I, I've referenced before uh, called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen Covey wrote it, and I used this illustration a, a, about a year ago. <coughs> he, he talks about this funeral illustration. It's a funeral exercise. I know it sounds it's like a really morbid way to kick off the new year, but roll with me because it, it'll make sense in the end. The whole idea of this illustration is to think about your funeral. Think about about your funeral. You're laying there and your family's coming in and your friends are coming in and maybe your coworkers are coming in. There's, There's three groups of people. What do you want those people to say about you at your funeral? And it's an interesting exercise because it really helps you to decide what matters to you. It gives you some focus. It gives you some clarity on the person you want to be. And about a year ago, I walked this church through that exercise. I walked through it myself, and it's incredibly life-changing as I discovered the husband I want to be and the father, the pastor, the person of my community, the follower of Christ. It, just, it kind of put all those things in focus. But as I got thinking about this message and New Year's resolutions, I I thought, here's an interesting way to look at this. What if if instead of thinking about our funeral, what if we just thought about the end of our life? We're older, we're sitting in a chair, we're at the end of our life, and a line of people form in front of us, and this group of people is going to come up to you and thank you for something. What do you want them to thank you for? If at the end of your life there's a group of people, some you know, some you may not know, they're going to walk up to you and say, Jim, thank you so much for doing whatever it is, what do you want them to finish that off with? I think that's an interesting statement. And I think if we concluded, could it conclude that statement ourselves, we would find what our heart breaks for. At the end of my life, I would like people to line up and thank me for you fill in the blank. What is it that captivates your attention? What is it that breaks your heart? What is the thing that you just can't shake, that you can't get rid of, that it just lingers and lingers and lingers, and you can't seem to move past? At the end of your life, what do you want people to line up and thank you for? And, and I mean, get, get like bigger vision, right? We all care about our family and we, immediately our mind goes there. But I know you're going to love your wife. I know you're going to love your husband. You're going to love your kids. You're going to love your grandkids. Hopefully you love your parents. If, you're, if not, you should love your parents. Those are good things to do as a parent. Every child, every parent wants their child to love them. Love your parents. <clears throat> but beyond your family, beyond that, that scope, beyond that kind of small, small idea, What do you want people to get in line and say, thank you so much for getting involved. Thank you so much for giving. Thank you so much for putting some time there. Thank you so much for maybe sacrificing a little bit of yourself for this. Because if you didn't do that, I wouldn't be here. My life wouldn't be the same. My life would be completely different if it wasn't for you. What do you want people to thank you for? And as we begin to think about this, as we begin to think about what breaks our heart and what do we want people to thank us for at the end, what we begin to realize, and this is kind of the disturbing part about that question, this is the part that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, is that eventually it might cost us something. It's going to cost us some time. It might cost us some money. It might cost us to to miss out on some opportunities that we thought we wanted. It might cost us some family time or some family opportunities. Ultimately, at the end of it, if we decide what breaks our heart and we decide to get involved, it's going to cost us some life. And we're not, we're not too excited about that. I don't, wanna, I, don't wanna, I don't want it to cost me my life. I, I mean, that's not what we are as people by nature. And this isn't a Christian thing. This isn't like a religious thing. This is just a people thing. By nature, we are all this. What is that? It's a life preserver. I was going to throw the picture, picture up with the candy because it actually said lifesaver on it and everyone would get it, but <clears throat> you get the idea. It's a life preserver. By nature, we are life preservers. By nature, we are life savers, aren't we? Like, that's what we do. We spend time, we spend money, we spend energy trying to preserve our life so that we can live longer for, for whatever it is we think we're living for so that we could save our lives. I mean, that's why, you know, the, the healthcare industry and the pharmaceutical industry is just booming. We'll drop all kinds of money to make us live longer and try to make us happier. We are life preservers. We don't want to think about giving our life. We don't want to think about something costing us our life. We want to preserve our life. We want to save our life. So this whole idea that that what breaks our heart might cost us something, it sounds very counterculture, sounds very counterintuitive. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to make my life better. I'm here to take advantage of every opportunity and every advancement that might come my way to be the best me that I can be. And that's the tension we're faced with. That's the tension we all kind of feel. And maybe you're married to someone who's a little more activist than you are. And this week, even before today, you said you really shouldn't go to church today, sweetie. Jim, Jim's just going to get you all riled up. You're already thinking about it. You're already, you're already kind of leaning that way. You already have these kind of ideas. Like, like Just don't go to church this week because if you go, he's going to say something and it's, gonna make, it's just going like to turn our life upside down. Maybe it's it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, and you're just thinking, you just don't need any more of this. Because if you begin to do this, if you you get these crazy ideas and you begin to walk in this direction, it's going to cost us something. And I'm not sure I'm ready to pay it. But as we wrestle with that tension, and that's a real tension of what breaks our heart and what we're passionate about and what we want to get involved with, and then realizing that that is going to cost us something in the end. As we wrestle with that tension, Jesus comes along and he says something. Jesus says this, whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. I know it's really confusing. Jesus really didn't say that. I said it. Um, (laughs) Jesus doesn't need my help at all, but this is kind of a paraphrase on something Jesus did say, and we're going to look at that in a moment. Whoever devotes themselves to themselves. I mean, that's an interesting way to start, isn't it? Whoever thinks and wakes up in the morning about how can I make me the best me? Whoever starts the new year off and and says, what can I do to make me the best me? Whoever devotes themselves to themselves, at the end of it all, will have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. The very thing we spend so much time trying to preserve, the very thing we spend so much time trying to save, is the very thing at the end we have nothing to show for. Jesus says some incredible things. He comes on the, on the scene, and then he comes on the scene, these crowds of people begin to gather around him. If you want to start the year off in an interesting way, you should read through the Gospel of Mark. Mark's the second Gospel. There's Matthew, Mark. It's the shortest Gospel, so you can read through it kind of quickly. I'd encourage you to read through it with a highlighter and underline every time it says the word crowd. Because everywhere Jesus went, crowds of people followed. And it's not crowds like we think of crowds. We couldn't smell the crowds. We couldn't see and, 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 and kind of feel the crowds like Jesus did. These are just like masses of people that surrounded him and when everywhere they went with him. It's not like they showed up to hear him speak and went home. They never left. They would all gather around him and they were sick and some of them had awful diseases and, and open sores and issues of blood and they all kind of gathered around Jesus because they wanted Jesus to do something. They wanted Jesus, it starts with a T. they wanted Jesus to touch him touch her. They wanted Jesus just to touch me. So all of these people kind of swarm around Jesus. And, and, and you get this idea. It's, it's almost a little bit like a scene out of a zombie movie, right? All these people that are sick with issues of blood and, 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 and open sores and all of this, these things that, that just kind of freak us out. They're all kind of walking up to Jesus, looking for Jesus to touch him. And Jesus is in the crowd. It's not like, it's not like Jesus can jump in an escalator and like, like fly off to Galilee. You know what I mean? It, 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 he didn't have that. All Jesus could do was jump on a donkey right? And it's like the people are walking faster than you, Jesus. Where are you going? He couldn't escape the crowds. They were with him everywhere he went. That's why often Jesus preached on the Sea of Galilee, because at least he could jump in a boat and go to the other side of the sea to avoid people. These are the crowds of people that follow Jesus everywhere they went to get a glimpse, to to get a touch, so that their life might change forever. Jesus is dealing with these kind of crowds. and, And in the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us as the crowds are gathering around him, Jesus turns to them. And it's really almost more like Jesus turns on them. And he says something to kind of thin the crowd, to kind of get people out of his way so he can go on with his life. Jesus says this. This is found in Luke chapter 14. Large crowds. That's like hundreds of people. That's a lot of people. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus. Jesus. And in, in, in other words, another way of saying it is, is, is kind of like this. We have large crowds, and it's, it's kind of like at the end of a service when I'm done speaking, I get out to my car, and, and, and you guys are just kind of following me out to my car. And then I, I drive over to Dysart's for lunch, and, and you guys are at Dysart's waiting to, there to have lunch. And, and then I drive home, and you're on my front yard, and it's like, guys, j- just go home. Now, the nice thing is you guys go home. You don't end up on my front yard. That would be weird. These crowds didn't go home. They weren't like Jesus' travel companions. They went with him everywhere he went. And of course they would. Like, guys, why don't you leave? And like, leave? Jesus feeds us. Jesus heals us. Where else would we go? This is the best place to be. So these are the kind of crowds that are following Jesus around. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus and turning to them. Really, it's more like turning on them. But turning to them, he says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters... If anybody follows me, but you don't hate your family. It's like, well, so much for that family relation. I had a New Year's resolution to be a better family man and love. No, no, no. If you want to be a Jesus follower, you hate your family. Okay, scratch that. if you don't hate your family. When they say when he says hate, they're like, what's he talking about? Is, that, is it the emotion of hate? And, and, and we find out later in the gospels, it's not because Jesus and the, the gospel writers would say, no, if you, if you hate someone, it's like you've murdered them. You can't follow Jesus and hate people. So, so what does he mean when he says hate? Well, what is Jesus saying when he says you should hate your, your father and your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters? He's talking about a willingness to allow Jesus to be the superior or the ultimate decision maker in one's life instead of one's family. And I can imagine how hard it was for that that culture to hear that. But, But I can also imagine how hard it is for us to hear it because this is what our worlds are wrapped up in. We work for our family and we, we build houses for our family and we buy the minivans like who wants a minivan we buy minivans for our family like we do these things for our our, our schedule is dictated by our family our, our, our where we go out and how often we go out it's dictated by our everything we do is about our family and this is a little bit of, of hyperbole here, but it gets more and more clear as we read through the rest of the verse. Jesus, he, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and then he takes it even a step further. He says, yes, even their own life, or in other words, even you, if you don't hate even you, if you're not willing to say, even you shouldn't be the one to make those decisions. Even you shouldn't be the one to be that supreme authority. If you're the type of person who says you want to follow me, but you don't, you don't allow these like your family unit, whether it's father and mother, your wife, your children, even you to be supplanted and allow someone else to be the decision maker, the ultimate in your life. He says, you're not my follower. And really, of course he's not, because to be a true disciple... To be, to be a true disciple is to say, I, I am a follower, and I'm following you, whatever you say. Jesus, the answer is yes. N- n- now, what's the question? Not my will, Lord, but your will. Not my way, Jesus, but your way. You tell me where, and I'll go. You tell me when, and I'll go. You tell me how, and I'll do it. The answer is yes, Jesus. You, you just have to say when, where, and how, and I'm in you can't be a, a real follower, Jesus says. You can't be a real disciple. You can be my travel companion. You can eat the food. I'll heal you. But you're not a real follower. You're not a real disciple until you're willing to supplant the authority, the, the current authority of your life, the current decision maker of your life, and allow me to sit there. And then when he says to hate your own life, he's not talking about feeling bad about yourself. He's not, he's not talking about, about hating your life and resenting your life and wanting to end your life. He's saying, who in your life is calling the shots? Is it you? You need to be willing to even supplant your dreams and your desires and your decisions and allow me to sit on the throne because I can do more with your life. I can show you the possibilities and the potential that you never thought possible. And then we look at this and we look at these New Year's resolutions and... and you know, I'm not against any of them. I hope you accomplish them. I hope you you, you can lose weight. We all have some weight to lose. I have some weight to lose. I hope you learn to eat right. Eating vegetables is a good thing. I hope you lose some weight. Getting out of debt is a good thing. As a matter of fact, this week at, at Journey, I asked you guys at the end of last year to help make this year, the end of last year, the best ever, and you did. We paid our final debt payment on uh, what we used to launch the church two years ago. So as of today, we're currently debt-free. I think getting out of debt is exceptionally important. I think getting healthy is exceptionally important. I want to be here when my girls are old enough to walk down the aisle and get married. Getting healthy is exceptionally important. But when all of our life revolves around me and what I need and what I want and my self-improvement, Jesus says, you're missing it. You're missing it. If everything you do, if, if everything you work for, if all of your goals, if all of your decisions are simply about making you a better you, you're missing life. It's almost like he's kind of saying this, the essence of following Jesus is self-denial, not self-improvement. And that's hard for us because especially as Americans... Because everything's about self-improvement. Our economy is built on self-improvement, about looking to be, to be the best you, to, you know, fitting into the same pair of jeans you wore in college and being the, the best in shape you've ever been and, and, and having more money in your bank than you've ever had and buying all the toys you've always wanted to buy and, and, and ha- own the car you've always wanted to own. It, it's always been about what are my self-interests. And Jesus says, following me is not about your self-interest. It's not about self-improvement. It's really so much more about self-denial. He says, you can't can't say you're my disciple. You can't say you're a follower of me and then say, but my mom and dad are going to make the decisions for my life for the rest of my life. You can't say you're my disciple and say, but but my kids dictate my life and my schedule and how I spend my money and where I go. You you can't be my follower and have somebody else sit on that throne besides me. And then he lays it on him even thicker than that. I mean, if that's not hard enough already, I mean, that's, that's hard. He goes even further and he says this. He says, and whoever... Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Again, you can be my traveling buddy, you can be my companion, but you can't be my disciple. And I think when we see this word cross, you know, we get, we get this idea of like sparkly jewelry that hangs around our necks. When we see that word cross, we think, I think we think of all the wrong things. We think of movies, we think of nice polished crosses that hang in old churches as a, as a religious symbol. We have all these wrong ideas. But when Jesus said it to this crowd, they, there was an emotion that went with that word cross. They watched their family die on crosses. They've watched their friends die on crosses. In a few months, they would watch Jesus die on a cross. When they thought of cross, it was very real, and it was very graphic, and it was very like, violent and tormenting. And Jesus is saying, I have to, to pick up my cross to follow him? Jesus, that sounds, that sounds counterproductive. It sounds like I'm walking to my death. Right, we hear these kind of things, and it's like, Jesus, Jesus, like, can't we skip to the part where you tell me how to pray to get God to do what I want? Like, can't we just get to the part where you tell me the formula so that I know how to pray to get God to do exactly what? Like, like, isn't there something better? Can't we talk uh, about this? Like, enough of this. Enough of the cross. En- enough of hating. Like, like, can't we talk about those kinds of things? Jesus said, "The cross. You have to be willing to pick up your cross." To follow me. Sometimes it's a very subtle way of saying it. Sometimes it's a very kind of loud way of saying it. But you get the, the hint that Jesus is kind of inviting people into something bigger than they ever thought possible something bigger and broader and better than themselves. It's almost like he's saying, I'm making you an offer, but you'll never be able to say yes to this offer until you're willing to say no to you. On another occasion, Jesus does something similar. This is found in the Gospel of Mark. Again, there's there's these crowds. They're all around him. Then he called the crowd together. In the first one, he he kind of did what he could to disperse the crowd. This time, he's calling the crowds to him along with his disciples. And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, don't misunderstand me, not my traveling companion, not somebody who just shows up to church on, on, on an occasion and then goes home, but whoever truly wants to be my follower, whoever wants to be my disciples, must deny themselves. There it is again. It's really not about self-improvement. It sounds a whole lot more like self-denial, and I, I don't know that's, that, that's what I signed up for here. But Jesus is saying, if you want to be a better you, you've got to stop focusing on you and focus on something bigger, bigger, better, and broader. Because left to ourselves, what do we do? We live for ourselves. Jesus said, no, no, you must deny yourself. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up, and here it is again, that word, take up their cross and follow me. And then he takes the discussion even further. He gets, he gets right to the heart of the struggle for all of us. He says, for whoever wants to, and this isn't just, just a gym thing. This is an everybody thing. This is a human nature thing. For whoever wants to save their life. And all of us are thinking, of course we do. That's what we do. We're life savers. We're life preservers. We work day in and day out to save and prolong our life. That's what we do. We are lifesavers. I want to save my life. I want to preserve my life. I want to have my best life now. I, I want all of these things for my life. I, I am a lifesaver. I am a life preserver. He's saying for the, for the people who live that way, for the people who are willing to be honest and say something you probably never said before, for the people who are willing to say, all of life is a means to an end. Right? and we never say this, we're never this honest with ourselves, but if we were honest enough to say, all of life is a means to an end, my husband is a means to an end, my wife is a means to an end, my parents are a means to an end, my children, my boss, it's all a means to an end, and if I'm really honest, I am the end. All of life is funneling back to me to make my life the best it can be. It's all really about my happiness. It's all about my enjoyment. It's all about my fulfillment. For those of you who are honest enough to say, all of life is a means to an end and I am that end. For those of you who are willing to say, it's all about saving a life, saving my life. Jesus says, ultimately, in trying to save that life, you will lose it. And spending all of that money and all of that time and all of that energy working so hard to preserve your life. At the end of it all, Jesus says, you'll have lost the very thing you've tried to save. But whoever loses their life for me. And he's not talking about martyrdom. He's not talking about having to sacrifice your life. He's not talking about literally dying for him. But whoever loses their life for me, whoever is willing to say it's not about me. I'm not the decision maker. I'm not the ultimate. I'm not the supreme. But Jesus, I'm willing to supplant myself as king, as queen, as ruler of my life, and allow you to sit on that throne. But whoever is willing to lose their life for me, whoever is willing to lose it, lose their life for me, that's, not, that's a decision you have to make. It's something Jesus is inviting you into. And for the gospel, that's my agenda, he says, will in fact save it. And this is hard. But here's what I want you to hear. This was not a call for followers to throw away their lives. This wasn't a call to martyrdom. This wasn't a call to be irresponsible or irrational. This wasn't about making a point or proving a point. This was a decision that Jesus is inviting you into. I'm willing to invite you into something bigger and better and broader than you ever thought possible. But the only way to do it is to give up the thing you hold most dear, your life. But Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus, that sounds totally counterintuitive. Yeah, I, I know. Jesus came to give us life, but what did he have to do? He had to die for it. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus knows that left to our own devices, we will work, we will live to do everything we can to please ourselves. And he says, but life is so much more than that. If you live for yourself, you'll lose yourself. But if you're willing to give yourself away, you'll find more life than you know what to do with. Jesus, I I don't think this makes any sense. It's almost like he's saying to deny yourself is to say no to you so you can say yes to something bigger than you, to something better than you, to something broader than you. Because here's the bottom line, and, and here's the struggle that we all have. Maybe we don't word it this way, maybe we haven't thought about it like this, but as long as I'm all about me, I really can't be all about anything else. As long as I'm all about me, I really can't do anything for anyone else. As long as everything comes back to me, I really can't give anything else for other people. You see, as long as I'm all about me, I can never say yes to the things that are outside of me. Taking it back to that question, what breaks your heart? If you decide to wrestle with that question, if you decide to come up with an answer to that question... What you'll see is that to do something about the very thing that breaks your heart, it's going to cost you something. But but I don't want to cost me. I I want to preserve me. Jesus is saying, but but life, fulfillment is here. And you might have to give some of yourself to get there. Ultimately, at some point, you have to lose you. You have to almost walk away from you. Suddenly, it's not about self-improvement. It becomes much more about self-denial. And Jesus says, yes, I'm inviting you into that life because I'm offering to rescue you from you. If you live for yourself at the end of your life, it's a total loss because you will have nothing to show for it but you. That's why I started off by saying, whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. And you don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. This year marks the end of my 30s. I'm about to be at the end of my 30s, maybe you're pushing the end of your 40s or 50s or 60s, but none of us want to get to that place in our lives and feel like nothing mattered, there's nothing to show. I worked all these years and I saved all that money and I went to the gym every day and I ate right, but what do I have to show for it? None of us want to be there. None of us want to spend all of our lives working for ourselves and at the end of it all having nothing to show for it. I don't know all of you personally. I don't know where all of you have come from. Of course I don't. But I know something about every single one of us. You are not enough for you to live for. There's more to you. We said this last week. There is more to you than a balance sheet and a body. There's more to your future than you ever thought possible. You have more potential to do something in this world than you ever imagined. But sometimes we limit it to ourselves and to our self interests and to self-improvement. And Jesus is saying, if you would stop living for yourself, I could show you something bigger and better and broader. You may not be able to change the whole world, but you can change someone's world. You can change the slice of a world if you would stop living for yourself and maybe start living for others. I mean, at the end of it all, if you've reached your ideal weight, if you could fit into the genes you fit in when you were in college, if you could save the money you wanted to save, really, at the end of it all, who cares? What does it matter at the end? There's more to you than that. You know that, right? There is more to you than that. And you've been invited. And this is what Jesus is saying. And this is, this is why I love being a Christian. I know this might even sound naive, but I don't understand why everyone doesn't want to be a Christian, why everyone doesn't want to follow Jesus. E- even, if, even if you're not a Christian and you think that, that's just absolutely ridiculous, even to follow his teachings to follow the teachings of Jesus because this is an invitation to something significant. This is an invitation to something unique. This is an invitation to do something that nobody else does. Everybody else avoids this because it's uncomfortable and there's some stress and it's a little bit disturbing. This is an invitation to do something that people dream about doing but never do. Jesus says, I'm inviting you into that kind of life where you can do something significant, where you can do something that matters, where you can change the world around you. Really, what he's inviting his audience to is purpose. Now, and when I was a kid, I, I grew up in church, and I've shared this before. I, I went to a very strict kind of religious church. I was surrounded by religious teachings and, <clears throat> and preaching all the time. Our, our church had three services that you went to all the time, or someone called you and, and gave you an earful. you got to be thankful we don't do that here. And if you were a teenager, you had to show up to, to the youth events as well. So I was in church like four times a week, and I always heard about purpose. There, there was Every youth retreat, every youth event, somebody was talking about purpose, and you got to have purpose and live your life with purpose. And as a teenager, I, I mean, you might lose respect for me when I say this, but I really didn't care about purpose. As a teenager, there were three things that mattered to me. I wanted a car, I wanted a job so I could have money, and I wanted a girlfriend. That was it. Those are the things that matter to me. I didn't need purpose. Purpose was for someone else. I didn't care about purpose. All I wanted, I wanted a car. I wanted my dream car. I already had it picked out. I wanted a job that would pay me lots of money without requiring lots of work. If you find that job, let me know because I'm still interested. But that's what I wanted. I wanted that job. I wanted that car. And I wanted a hot girlfriend. I wanted a girlfriend where people would look at her, would look at me and think, he's not much. And then they'd look at her and think, he's got something going on. That's what I wanted. Now, I was warned after I said that first service, I need to follow up with I got one of those three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I wanted. I Really, what I wanted was I wanted to be envied. I wanted people to look at me and think I was more than I was, and I was better than I am. I wanted people to look at my girlfriend and my car and think, man, this guy's got it going on. Even though on the inside, I know I don't have it going on. I didn't need purpose. Purpose was like an adult thing. That's what adults struggle with. That's what adults are going to deal with. And then you begin to grow up. And all of us, we get to the place in our lives, and maybe you're there now. Maybe you've dealt with this for months, and it's just been ringing even throughout the new year. And maybe you haven't verbalized it this way, you haven't asked the question this way. But I haven't talked to a single adult who hasn't asked this, asked this question at one point in their lives. Does it matter? Does any of this matter? Like when it's all said and done, all that I've worked for, all that I've earned, like the house I have, the car, all of those things eventually are going to go away. Cars break down, houses rot, clothes go out of style, computers and phones get old. Does any of that matter? And Jesus would say, if you're living for yourself, no. But if you'd be willing to say, God, it's not about me. God, I don't want to be the rule maker. I don't want to be the authority. I don't want to be the decision maker. My family's not even going to be the decision maker. Jesus, I'm supplanting myself, and I'm making you the Lord of my my life. I'm making you the, the supreme decision maker in my life. Jesus, I'm not going to live for me, but today I'm going to live for those around me. Jesus says, man, that life matters, and that life can change the world. That's the life people will read about in years to come we can say, Jesus, it's not about me. It is so much more about you and the people around me you want me to get involved with. What breaks your heart? If you focus on you, you'll be empty. But if you empty yourself, you'll be full. And we hear that and we're like, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus says, I know, but that's how I created you. I didn't create you to focus on you. I created you to focus on other people, and you'll spend your whole life trying to work for you, trying to save for you, trying to improve you, and at the end of it all, you'll have nothing. But if you spend your life working for those around you, serving, sacrificing, giving of yourself for other people, at the end of your life, you'll have it all. I'm going to show you a quick video. This is from uh, I just need to move this. This is from uh, the church that we've partnered with, North Point Community Church. This is uh, Pastor Andy Stanley. He's going to tell you a quick story about somebody who uh, attended his church, and, and his heart was gripped with purpose, and how once his heart was gripped with purpose, how his entire life started to unfold and reshape in a way that, that's almost it's indescribable for me, but he's going to put it in words as best he can. We'll roll that video, and then I'll come up to conclude the message.
1: I have a friend named Tom Rhodes. Tom Rhodes is an architect by trade, successful architect. And about eight years ago, um, we were talking about needs in the church and serving in the church and Tom loves our church and is all about creating churches. Unchurched people love to attend, love what this church was doing for his family. And his thing was, hey, I just want to help. I mean, my heart's broken over the fact that, you know, there just aren't churches that unchurched people connect to. And I finally found one. How can I help? How can I help? I don't have to go start a church. I found one. How, how can I help? Found out that we had needs with our special needs class. We have this extraordinary environment for kids with special needs on Sunday. And our goal is to create a wonderful environment for kids so that the parents with special needs kids can come and worship and not worry about their kids. I mean, what a gift to parents with special needs kids, right? He found out about that. He did not have like this big heart for special needs kids, but he loved our church, loved what we were doing, said, hey, I'll do that. So Tom started serving in the class with kids with special needs, and uh, the kids loved him. And Tom's been doing that for eight years. And then a few years ago, he found out that we were doing the same thing for some orphanages in East Asia, same type of thing. He said, I'll, I'd like to take one of those trips and spend a whole lot of time in a plane, you know, flying halfway around the world. He's been on five trips. So I, I heard him you know, interviewed recently, just talking about his experience with all these trips. And you know, here's this busy guy, he's got family, but his, you know, suddenly he's gotten outside of, of all that and has given his life away to kids and some of your kids. And in this interview, he made a statement. I just pulled this sentence out because I thought it was so powerful and it goes right to the heart of what Jesus is inviting you to and inviting me to. Here's what he said. He said, and for me, it's difficult just to go back to a normal everyday Sunday once you've tasted purpose. It's impossible to think about just going back to, honey, let's get there on time. Let's find our seat. Hey, you're in our seat. Could you move down one? You know, and I got my parking spot, you know, and we just zip, 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 get in and out. And I put a check in the box, went to church. You know, we go to church, you know, God, you're paying attention, you know, I had the family. He said, he said, I'm telling you, he said, after you've engaged with something you feel like God is up to, once you step into the realm of pouring out You get so filled up. He said, I can't imagine going back to just everyday, normal, just go to church Sunday because I've tasted purpose.
0: So here's the thing. We're gonna wrap this up. I know there's a tension around this. When we find purpose, and this is why I think so many of us, we just shrink away from this. We shrink back from the conversation. We We don't wanna spend time trying to talk through and work through what it is that breaks our heart because we know the moment we do, it's going to cost us something. So we shrink away and we pull away. Say It's it's easier for me. I'd rather rather go off sugar for two months and and try to eat some vegetables for for the year. I'd rather try to do something over here in self-improvement because I can control that. You see, but purpose is always found on the other side of what I'm comfortable with. Purpose is always found on the other side of what's in it for me. Purpose is always found just across the border of my comfort zone. And Jesus is on the other side of that saying, just come on, come on. You wouldn't believe what life would be like over here. But when we hear this, we're so prone to to, to pull away and to shy away from crossing that line. And Jesus is asking me this morning, I think he's asking all of you this morning, come on, just step outside your comfort zone. See what's over here, see what's in store. Do you know what Jesus calls that? He calls that abundant life. That you give your life away and you find more life. And you give your life away and you find more life. And you give your time away and you find more time. And you give your energy away and you find more energy. And you give your money away and you find more money. He said it's the abundant life. To learn to give, then you begin to receive, and then your life begins to flow and it takes on new meaning than you ever thought possible. And he's inviting you into this. He's inviting you to say no to you so that you can say yes to someone else. And I think that's the best thing you can do this year. Really, the the best thing you can do has little to do with focusing on you. It has a lot to do with focusing on others. And Jesus is saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. Step outside of your comfort zone. Come across the line. And see the life that I have for you. This brings us back to our pesky little question. What breaks your heart? What's the thing that keeps you up? What's the thing that when it comes up, it just torments you and you lose sleep and you get angry and emotional and you think somebody needs to, somebody needs to put an end to that. Somebody somewhere needs to get involved. Perhaps that somebody's you. What breaks your heart? And, and, to, and to help you narrow down what you do with it from there, here's another question. Who's doing something about it? Because somebody is already involved somewhere. God has already moved on other people's hearts to begin to solve the problem. Who's already doing something about it? Who is already Whose heart's already been broken and they've already started an organization or a nonprofit or a ministry somewhere to help solve the problem? And then here's the most obvious question. How can you help? You don't have to recreate the wheel. What can you do now to get involved? You don't have to abandon your family. You don't have, I'm, I'm not asking you to do something irrational. I'm not asking you to move. I'm just asking you to answer this question, what breaks your heart? And when you find somebody's heart who's broken the same as you, what can you do to get involved? To make the world a better place, which would in turn make you a better person and make me a better person. But to do that, somewhere along the line, we have to say no to you. That's what Jesus meant when he said, deny yourself. He extended the invitation to be a part of something bigger, better, and broader. And as Christians, we, we believe that when you do, you engage, and this is um, a biblical phrase, you, you engage in carrying other people's burdens. You decide to carry someone else's burden, and that is like the primary activity of God. That's what God did when he looked at humanity. He saw us and he saw our need. He saw the sin that overwhelmed us. And it, it's not like God flipped the channel, oh, that's too bad, we're going to keep going. He saw our need and it broke his heart enough that he was willing to send his only son into the world to wade like hip deep into our sin to help meet our needs, to offer us forgiveness. God's heart was broken and God responded and God changed the world. And Jesus is extending the same invitation to you. So come on, be a part of something bigger this year. Be a part of something that can change the world. Whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing but themselves to show for it. But if you devote yourself to more than yourself, you will have more than yourself to show for it. So one more time, I want you to sit on it this week. If you're in a small group, I want you to answer these questions. I want you to begin to develop your thoughts around what is it that breaks my heart and what can I do now to begin to get involved? And next week, we're going to conclude this series on Resolution. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. God, I thank you that Jesus, in all of his wisdom, God, he takes something that seems so counterintuitive to us and shows us how it carries out in our life. God, that to live a fulfilling life, to live a life that matters, to live a life of purpose, we have to live a life that isn't about us. And that's hard for us to do. But I pray now you would begin to break our hearts for something. God, whatever we see, whatever it is that stirs in our thoughts and our hearts, that maybe we we don't even talk about God because we get too emotional. I pray you'd begin to stir it in us once again. That you'd give us the wisdom to know what it is that breaks our heart. And as we begin to move forward to the conclusion of this series, you would give us the courage to take a step to do something about it. To make 2019 the best year we've ever had. Not by being a year focused on our self-improvement, but by being a year focused on serving other people and other people's needs. By responding to your call to step out of our comfort zone and say, God, it's not about me. It's always been about you. In Jesus' name I pray,
1: amen.